How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Nice one, Mark. Nice one. I, I heard you clearing your throat a little bit there and getting ready for it. And, and I mean, wonderful. Uh, so, uh, Tom, how things been the last couple of weeks? What's been going on? Well, things have been great here in Massachusetts, Dr. Joe. We're getting into summer now, so we can go back to some of my favorite activities. Hiking, kayaking, throwing used car batteries into the ocean, just <laughs> taking walks, picking up litter. It's, it's uh, great. I, I love the season. Yeah, it is. Massachusetts has remarkable seasons, each one of them. But the summer, especially right here with the ocean, with all the flowers blooming, it's, it's pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive. Mark, what have you been doing the last couple of weeks? What's been going on with you? So I know uh, I can't wait to hear about your trip to L.A. to see Becca, but I was down in uh, Florida, actually, um, in a town called St. Augustine, south of Jacksonville, north of everything else. Um, and I was there for my first cousin's wedding. So my first cousin, once removed, was getting married to a wonderful young man, and they're running off into a, a future journey together that's going to be uh beautiful so it was congratulations nice. congratulations yeah. that's wonderful and um how's never been, uh, Saint, never been to saint augustine i have never been to saint augustine really really interesting town really interesting town settled before plymouth 1535 <laughs> was settled um and it's, oh. and it's cool. It has like a real European feel to it, like a little downtown where cafes and the sidewalk. And then, you know, it's like an Ernest Hemingway, like fishing town. It's, it's, it's a really, really neat town. It's a Flagler College is right in the downtown. And it's old Spanish architecture. It's really cool. Hmm. Yeah. So tell us about your trip to see Becca. Uh, I would be delighted. So just so people know, my youngest daughter, Becca, is out in L.A., and she is doing film scoring and um, music editing for films, and she's working with just a couple of incredible people. Uh, Billy Sullivan and uh, Southern guy Tom Kramer working separately and independently, and they've become her mentors. And it's, it's just been absolutely delightful to meet them and, and uh, be able to hear all the things that they're doing and the things that they're doing with Becca. And what was great was that, you know, Carol and I, mom and dad were there and we got to just humiliate her on occasion. It was just wonderful. I mean, that's what parents do, you know, we, in, an, in the nicest possible way. We did tell them, you know, um, that, that she is a composer with uh, Mark Stiles. She's done the the opening music and all the music for Feel Good Friday that Mark has been doing, which is really taking off, I hear. Yep. And, and it's, uh, it's also used in our podcast as well as uh, the vlogs that we're doing that Thomas at Studio B yeah. has been editing and doing a great job with. Yeah. And it was, it was lovely. I also uh, saw quite a bit of LA. Uh, we went down to visit my sister uh, who's in San Diego, Carol's great sister. Town. 
It's a great town. Yeah, Amazing. It was actually Solana Beach. It's beautiful. And I got to meet my, my great niece and nephew, um, Harper and Bennett, which was just so much fun. It was just really lovely. And then, and then we went to, um, to meet with, uh, with Carol's sister, who's also out in LA, uh, not, not in, uh, in, uh, in Orange County. Uh, that, that Laguna? Really Near Laguna, yep. And that was really lovely. And it was just great. It was difficult to leave her, difficult yeah. to leave Becca behind, especially in this time. But she's got two wonderful roommates, also from Berkeley College of Music. One of the roommates, his mom helped put the apartment together. So we know that Becca has family out there in LA. So it's really lovely. So you flew out there, right? We did. We flew How'd out feel? there. How'd you feel about the airports and the airplanes and all? Honestly, I, I felt quite safe. Uh, every, everyone's masked on the airplane um, and everyone's masked in the airport. The only time you're, you're not wearing a mask is if you're you know, eating or drinking. And, and it's not the same sort of thing. The meals aren't served in any way that they were before. Alcohol is really prohibited. I mean, you can have a, a glass of wine or something. Um, and you know that some of the airlines are now stopping alcohol altogether because of what happened recently when that, that passenger just sucker punched a, a stewardess. Did you hear about that? Was, I didn't. Oh, I tried to, I limit the Terrible. news I, I take in. Terrible. Terrible. But anyway, it was fine. I really didn't feel unsafe. I felt that, that everybody was doing the best thing. And what we noticed was nobody was sneezing or coughing. You know how, how in, and planes, it's always somebody who's like sneezing or coughing. Well, you know, in Florida, I was saying to my son, um, you know, this, if this sticks and everyone wears a mask on an airplane, I'm going to be cool with that because I always get sick the day really? after I'm on a plane. Yeah. Because, but, you know, it's funny. We flew JetBlue when we went to St. Augustine. If you fly into the Jacksonville airport, Yep. And they had an announcement about, you know, what their strategies were for cleanliness. And they said they were using HEPA machines that were pumping the air out within three. The air was not there for more than three seconds in the plane. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. It was. We saw that, too. And the thing is, if, if you didn't like that, you could always open your window. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. Yeah. That, that joke didn't take flight. So oh, you didn't yeah. you didn't lose that out there in LA, huh? No, no. I, people sure tried to. You know, I always wanted to be a stand-up comic, but people kept saying, "Would you just sit down? Just sit down." Yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. But that, but you know, that was you know sort of one of the things, a goal, you know, like a an idea of doing something different, of, of reaching out, and that you know, even though we're going to be coming to a commercial break in a minute, I did want to bring our guest in because oh. it really helps. You know, the, the, the idea that you can do more as long as you're doing it with other people. And that's really exactly what Becca's doing, is that networking, that organization, that community. So, Tom, could you introduce our guest right now? Oh, yeah. A writer with a lifelong curiosity about what it means to be happy and live the good life. He spends most of his time reading, writing, exercising, thinking, or lying on the floor and playing with his dog. He's a trained life coach and personal trainer. And when he's not working one-on-one -on -one with folks to create their ideal lives, he's probably at the gym or trying to find an excuse to travel. He's based out of central Kentucky, and he's passionate about seeing tech and entrepreneurship bring new opportunities to his home state. Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show, Blake Reichenbach. Welcome, Blake. Hey. Welcome, Blake. Hey. 
Hey, everybody. Great to be here. It is wonderful to have you. Thanks so much for being so patient and listening to all of us catching up with each other. So appreciate it. So just so people know, I met Blake because I was on his podcast. Got to be what, about six weeks ago, maybe a couple months, something like that. Yeah, about. Not that. So and another, that was, pod, another pod swap. Another pod swap. I love it. Thank you, Dr. Joe. We're getting some cool guests with these pods. pods we really are. But Blake, Blake, we had such a good time. Blake, can you tell people a little bit about what's going on? Because you're, you're launching some new things as well now. I am. I am. And I'm super excited about some of what I have coming up. Because like you were talking about with your daughter, you know, getting to connect with people who have similar passions is so huge and so empowering. And for me, that's been very key in my own professional and personal growth, which has been a rather winding, circuitous, not at all linear path. Uh, so yeah, coming up this, this fall, I'm gonna be launching a project called Howdy Curiosity, which is all about connecting folks who are interested in pursuing side hustles or passion projects, but don't feel like they fit into the camp of side hustlers who come from like MBA and business backgrounds, but also want something more authentic and more meaningful than like Reddit forums. So it's a happy middle ground, a happy safe space to be curious and explore the things that make you happy. That sounds pretty amazing. Don't you think, Mark? I love it. Let's not. Let's unpack some stuff here, Blake. <laughs> there we go. Let's do it. Let's do it. So howdy curiosity. How, first of all, how do you come up with that name? Sorry. <laughs> so it's, it really is one of those things where curiosity is just so important to me. It's one of the central tenets that I live by. Uh, for folks who are streaming this on Facebook, you probably can't read it, but there's a little pegboard in the background. Uh, and it said, make curiosity a priority for about the last nine months. Hmm. Uh, the howdy is actually every bit as intentional as the curiosity. Uh, because I'm uh, a resident of Central Kentucky. I, I grew up here, uh, you know, similar to your daughter. I did live in LA for a while, but hmm. I've since returned to, to rural Central Kentucky. And, you know, we are prone to saying howdy. Uh, and also people who are in smaller towns and in more rural areas don't always feel that they have access to the types of networks and organizations and communities that are, you know, key to achieving the goals and key to building the lives they want to live. Uh, and it often feels like those are located so far away from rural areas. So. I'm kind of uh, wanting to reclaim that sense of distance and saying howdy to curiosity. We may be out in the sticks, but there's still a ton that we can do. So Dr. Joe, do you know what a side hustle is? Um, probably not in a good sense. Tell me, what is a side hustle? Well, did you hear Blake's uh, introduction by Thomas when he was talking yes. about side hustles? Yeah. He's helping coach folks. To, to basically straddle into the world of entrepreneurship, right? Yeah, yeah. And so for like, for me, my day job, I work for a Cambridge-based software company, HubSpot. That pays my bills, uh -huh. that pays my mortgage. 
on the side, I'm a coach, entrepreneur, and writer. So that's my side hustle. It's the work that I do outside of my main source of income that's more aligned with my values and the things that I, I love doing. And you're now helping people set theirs up and figure it out and structure it and transparently work with the other job, right? Because you want the other employer to be okay with it, right? Yep, exactly. So so how, how do people find Howdy Curiosity and when is it starting? What's happening? So our launch is, uh, let's go with ambiguously this autumn. Uh, we don't have an exact <laughs> launch date yet. There's still a few kind of moving pieces that I need to get nailed down before I can say with confidence, this is the date that I will be launched on. Uh, okay. But right now it should be early September. Um, okay. And anyone who's interested can just go to howdycuriosity.com or howdycuriosity.com slash welcome. Both okay. of those addresses will take you to the same place. So, so does this sort of exemplify your current side hustle? It does. It does. It's really a, a culmination of how my side hustling has evolved over time. You know, I, like I mentioned in the introduction, my, my journey's not exactly been very linear. Great. You know, uh, way back when I graduated with a very highly coveted bachelor's in English uh, <laughs> and was freelance writing full time. <laughs> primarily in the men's fashion and wellness industries. And I got really burnt out with the type of writing that I was doing because the audience was so, so narrow. And on top of that, after a while, I got tired of the inconsistencies of the freelance paycheck cycle, uh, which is another way of saying I was just broke. And mm -hmm. so I thought, I'll just take a job somewhere, work there for a year, and then go back to grad school so that I can get the even more coveted PhD in English. <laughs> uh, but that job for a year was doing customer support at HubSpot. And several years later, I'm still there because I loved it. And you know, I, I used the tools that I had access to through HubSpot to build my first website, which was a publication targeted to young men that expanded beyond the scope of what I was assigned as a freelancer. And over time, the more that that grew and developed and the more audience that I had at that website, which is selfhimprovement.com, uh, the more I realized that my audience was really looking for a way to you know, be practical and have a sense of security, especially during times like this where the pandemic has kind of thrown that sense of security into question for so many, but also not feel like they're missing out on the things that get them excited to get out of bed in the morning. And so, you know, all of that kind of rolled together is what has led me to launching Howdy Curiosity. And self-improvement is, is a terrific, terrific site as well. How long has that been around? Uh, I first launched it in its first iteration, which was under a different name. Um, I first launched it, I think, in late 2017, hmm. uh, early 2018, perhaps. Uh, so it, it's been around a couple of years now. When you say, I'm sorry, Dr. Chip. No, no, please go on, Mark. When you say you're launching Howdy Curiosity, what are you launching? Yeah, so it is going to be an online community. So it is uh, going to be a private community where, you know, you do have to subscribe to, to be able to enroll and get access into it. 
but it's going to include things like, you know, regular book clubs where we'll be going through books about exploring that, you know, creative or curious aspect of ourselves. It'll include uh, collaborative and coaching spaces. We'll have regular like office hours or coffee chats. Uh, and then of course, you know, forums and networking events where members can, you know, hang out informally, get to know each other, share their successes, ask questions and, uh, you know, figure out what it means to be curious about things and to pursue the things that interest them in a productive way. So the platform you'll be using, is that a Facebook exclusive group or a private group on Facebook or what, where would no, it be? No, so it's, it's actually not going to be uh, tied with any like major social media platforms. Uh, in my opinion, social media platforms aren't always the most productive space and they often either are too convenient to just click away into your general timeline or because a lot of social media platforms have like no barrier to entry at all, it becomes a stream of like self-promotion rather than collaboration. So uh, I'm actually using a really cool uh, software platform called Mighty Networks uh, to build out a, a custom proprietary community. Very cool. Very cool. Mark, some of this resonates with you and we were just beginning. Well, I love, I love the online marketplace, the online communities, the social selling. I, I love all of it. Um, but I was curious as to, you know, what the launch was, was it a, was it a course or was it, you know, what was it? But it, it seems uh, really, really interesting. Like I'll be checking it out for sure. Awesome. Yeah, it sounds like there's a, a menu of different things that, that people can can access. Tom, what do you think about this? I mean, what's what's your sort of side hustle that's going on now? Well, my side hustle was this. There was a time, a two, two and a half year period where I was working full time, like 80 hour weeks as they meet on the ferry out of uh, Blake. So there's this town of Hingham that's about a half hour boat ride from Boston. And I was the made on one of the ferries there and between that and this you know it was busy then about uh it was the end of 2019 where i was able to say goodbye to bhc and had a bit of a panic attack because i never had that kind of whiplash before where you have that routine and then it's over and then you know what now did you ever feel that oh absolutely absolutely that especially in that transition period of going from working in higher education to being self-employed to suddenly working in tech, knowing nothing about code and really only ever using a computer to send emails or check Facebook. There was such a sense of whiplash, such a sense of, I don't know if this is sustainable. I don't know what I'm doing. I got to flail until something sticks and luckily something stuck. Yeah. Let me ask you something. Is HubSpot as culturally excellent as you hear as a corporate place to work. Yeah. And I'm not just saying that because they're in the Boston area and some higher up at HubSpot may be hearing this. <laughs> I genuinely love working there. You know, I, I read a lot of like the reviews and the culture code before I interviewed at HubSpot. And I believe it was in my first interview with either the hiring manager or the uh, HR person who I was speaking with, where I said, you know, I hear so much and I've read so much about HubSpot being this amazing community to work with, you know, how, how accurate is that? Is that something you've experienced? And uh, they said, yeah, yeah, it is. And 
now that I've been on the inside for a while, you know, no organization is perfect. We have our flaws, but uh, it's always been super welcoming and encouraging. And it's it's been an opportunity for me to uh, really lean into the things that I had no knowledge about. You know, if it wasn't for HubSpot, I would know nothing about uh, front-end development or managing a website or doing what I'm getting ready to do and taking a product to market. I love hearing that, Dr. Joe. I love hearing stories where corporations are having a tremendous amount of success keeping their their teams happy. Yeah, it's so important. I mean, yeah. that's that's what, well, that's part of what you're doing, Mark, at, at, at Sal's Law Trying. as well. Yeah. Creating a community where there's the opportunity to grow, the opportunity to learn, but always the opportunity to feel valued. Mm. And that's that's really what it's all about. When you feel valued, you can do anything because that respect leads to value, leads to trust. That allows you to do so much. So like we, we were talking off, off air a little bit about curiosity and, and how that really just started in your life. Um, can, you, can you tell us a little bit about your home domain and the background that, that maybe drew this out of you? Absolutely. So. I, I'm a big advocate in uh, self-reflection and journaling. And so a lot of this is stuff that I've, I've put the pieces together over time as I've looked back and reflected on when were times that I felt valued, but also could tell that I was pushing myself and able to achieve more than I would usually expect. And when I think through those things, two particular times in my life really stand out to me. Uh, the first was the summer of 2015. Uh, I received a grant to go do a summer study program at the University of Oxford in Oxford, England. Wow. And then uh, last year in February, I got to go do a writing retreat that was hosted at the home of the author, Sam Horn. And she is amazing. Her book, Someday is Not a Day in the Week, is it's a must read uh, if you haven't read it. But in both of those instances, something really transformative happened. And, you know, thinking about Oxford in particular, for example, my inclination while I was there was I'm doing these things because it's Oxford. It's just the atmosphere. It's, you know, we're all nerds. It's, it's just what happens. You come here, you research, you write. It's a grand old time. But looking back on it, what I now realize is it's not just an atmosphere. It's not just an environment. I was there with people who were excited about the same things that I was excited by. Mm. And, you know, uh, as an undergrad, when I would show up to parties and sit down my beer and say, hey, have you heard of eco-critical theory? The party shut down. You know, people would find an excuse to go elsewhere, and I would be standing there looking for whatever dog or cat was at the house party. At the University of Oxford, I could say, oh, I read this really cool article about eco-critical theory, and someone else could go, oh, I read that same article. What did you think? Love right? It. And so it became a dialogue rather than why is the tall kid just sitting in the corner petting the dog? Uh, <laughs> And the same thing was really true with the writing retreat that was hosted by, by Sam Horn. You know, I was there with people who 
when I read their their bios and looked at their LinkedIn profiles before getting there, I thought, oh, I'm out of my depth. These are people who are accomplished. These are people who are so, so successful. You know, one of the ladies who was there is on like a first name basis with Madeline Albright. Mm. And I was like, I'm a nobody from Kentucky. But when I got there, I was in a room full of curious, kind people who were enthusiastic about writing. And so when we sat down and spoke, same thing that happened when I was at Oxford, we could share that excitement. We could go in depth. We could ask each other questions. We could engage. And it really challenged us to build upon and expand upon uh, you know, anything that we had previously limited ourselves to. And so for me, that's, those are the events and those are the experiences that make me say, more people need to have those experiences. If someone's thinking like, I want to start a, a crochet business selling crocheted wall decor, and they go to their friends and say, hey, I'm super excited about this. I'm buying all this yarn. And their friends say, okay, you know, that motivation might fizzle out. If they go to someone else who's started a crafting business, that other person might be able to say, oh, that's amazing. Where are you getting your yarn from? Have you looked at eco-friendly yarn? So on and so forth. And that motivation sustains. It doesn't, doesn't fizzle out. So that's a really, really interesting idea that, that the community in which you present an idea needs to be a receptive one. But let me, let me just throw this out. What happens when it's not? Does the idea need to fizzle out or, or can you help people just be just as enthusiastic? They just, they just were talking to the wrong person. It's, it's, fun, it's funny you say that, if I could just interject, because I was thinking when he said, when Blake said, you know, you say this to your friends and they're like, eh, meh, meh. What about 90% of the people that don't do that? Don't. Don't do that. That's oh, that's yeah. I wouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. Don't do that. Right. But right, which is which is which is another intensity of it. Instead of just saying, yeah, it's like, no, don't, don't go don't, there. Don't. So you're gonna probably run across people who've experienced that in their life when you're when you're doing howdy curiosity. That's why they're gonna be coming to you so that they don't have to endure that. But what advice can you give them? So that's another reason, the advice that I would give to that, that's another reason why I lean so heavily into curiosity. Mm. You know, the, the, the author Liz Gilbert, who is someone I essentially worship, the last time I was in Boston actually, was because I convinced HubSpot to fly me in for a conference because Liz Gilbert was going to be at that conference and I wanted to shake her hand and mm. I did. Uh, she's the author of Eat, Pray, Love. She's also the author of Big Magic, which is how I, you know, fell in love with her work. But one of the things that she discusses a lot in Big Magic and that has been really influential for me is, you know, the, this idea that fear and curiosity really help balance each other out. And curiosity is a great great tool when you're faced with those moments of fear. And I think if you are excited about something, if you're interested in something and want to explore it deeper, when you have those outside voices that are telling you like, that's not worth doing, or they just don't care. 
and you start to feel isolated and doubt yourself, that's a form of fear. And often when we start to get into that fearful place, our intentions, rather than being, this excites me, so I'm going to explore it, we start thinking like, well, something might not ever come out of this. It's a waste of time. It's pointless. But I don't think we have to take that mindset. I think we can give ourselves permission to be curious about these things and say, so what if nothing ever comes out of this? I love it. And I want to get better at this. I want to do more of this. You know, when I started writing my website, I, there, there are a million, uh, that's not even a large enough number. There are so many blogs out there. seems like every day someone's launching a, a new blog, spinning up a new blog. The idea that nobody would ever read my work, nobody would ever care, was totally evident to me. I knew that going into it. But I also knew that writing and researching really brought me a lot of joy and gave me a sense of accomplishment. And it wasn't something I was getting from my day job. So I wanted to be curious about it and I wanted to do it anyway. And regardless of, you know, if it ever took off, if I ever made a dime from it, or if I, I lost hundreds, you know, I was still doing something I was curious about. And that's valuable enough to explore. And you're still writing, right? I mean, yes, absolutely. And, and how do you find the discipline to do that, to have your day job and yet continue to pursue this wonderful, wonderful experience? So for me, that's, that's been a bit of a process of redefining leisure because mm. for a long time, I looked at it like, oh, that's two jobs. I'm never going to rest. I don't know if that's what I want. But then again, when I stepped back and reframed it, it's like, well, why did I want to start writing in the first place? Because I enjoy it, because it's fun, because I, I love the creative process. I love the generative process of spinning up something that wasn't there previously. And so for me, really taking a step back and saying, you know, I'm not working myself to the bone. I'm putting effort into something that I love and that I get a sense of reward from. Um, so, you know, it, sure, could I spend more time sitting on my couch, reading a book, playing with my dog? Yeah, but I find it rewarding. So I, I prioritize it and I put energy there. Yeah, so it doesn't feel like a job. It feels like joy. You get joy out of it. Exactly, exactly. And that's, you know, one of my phrases is, you know, success is when you love going to work and love going home. And right now, it sounds like you get to do both at the same time, right? Being at home, loving it, and, and enjoying everything that you're doing. That, that is so important. And that's part of what the I am is also about. You know, remember the, the I am approach, the idea that we're always doing the best we can. So even for those people where you've got the idea about crocheting, if somebody else says, yeah, you know, uh, great. That's the best they can do. It's not a reflection on you. It's just that it hasn't resonated and appealed to them, but that doesn't mean that it will not appeal or resonate with anyone. You will find that community where people say, this is the best idea I've ever heard. That 
happens. This is just so encouraging because we really have, we live in a world right now where first of all, community has been transformed due to COVID. Um, a community is not the way community was. It doesn't mean it's, it's not as good. In some ways, it's actually been expanded because we now have communities all over the world through formats like this and, and platforms like Zoom and other things. But what, what was the community like that you were growing up in? Did it, did it embrace this enthusiasm or did it like give you pause to think or what was all that about Kentucky? So I'll say that the community I grew up in embraced the parts of my enthusiasm that it liked. Uh, yeah. So I grew up in a really small town called Stanford, Kentucky. Uh, total population, I think, is right around 3,000 people, but it's also in a very, very large county. So that's 3,000 people who are very well dispersed. Um, but, you know, Stanford, the last time I looked at census data, it was, I believe, 86% Caucasian, 96% Protestant, you know, very very homogenous, very uniform in a lot of ways. Um, and in communities like that, where there is a lot of homogeneity, there also tends to be a lot of, you know, encouragement to conform. Because if you, you know, buck the rules, if you push back against the set norms of that community, everybody knows, <laughs> right? Because the, the line of communications not all that long, and and there's quite a bit of stigma, you know, for, for pushing against those those boundaries. And when people do arrive in the community who do, you know, uh, veer off away from the norms of it, they, they tend to become a, a point of conversation in town. And so I always felt like, you know, I can't I can't be as gung ho about some of the things that I'm interested in, or, you know. Uh, what I want to do because people just aren't going to get it. And they, you know, it, it could become a point of conversation. And in a, a small Southern town, being a topic of conversation is rarely a good thing. Um, so, you know, growing up in that environment, I spent a lot of time as a kid just uh, forming those communities in my imagination. Uh, my my mo was to get my my walkman cd player put it in a fanny pack uh and go jump on a trampoline which those walkman cd players and that much movement didn't work well but that's what i did and i would just go out there and daydream um and, and you know do all of my plotting all of my planning all of my scheming uh and, and you know uh, imagining the community that i didn't feel like i had access to in person um, and it wasn't really until I moved away for college that I realized like, A, there were more opportunities that I gave my small town credit for, but also B, you know, finding that community is, is that was an admirable goal. And, uh, you know, with the, with the IM approach, I was doing the best that I could at the time, but as I've, I've gotten older and had more experience and uh, developed more resources, you know, now it's at that point where it's like, okay, value of community, how can we make this something that's uh, more, more attainable 
for the weird kids like me who grew up in a rural area and want to find that connection of other people who get excited. Yeah, it is remarkable how many communities do not embrace that and they miss out on so much. They miss out on, on the remarkable, remarkable people that they have right there, right there. But that's their I am, right? A, a community has an I am as well. It's doing the best it can. So do you feel that you're influencing your community? I mean, you, you've created a, a global one, which is cool, but are you sort of a topic of conversation back in, uh, in your home? <laughs> uh, you know, I, uh, I, I don't think I'm as much of a topic of conversation back in my hometown as I feared growing up. <laughs> you know, I'm sure that there are still people who will go to the grocery store and say, are you friends with Kay and Fred's grandson on Facebook? Did you see what he was posting? I'm sure those conversations happen. But, you know, uh, I, I, I don't think it's, it's that big of a point of conversation. Um, and I definitely feel like in the community that I'm in now, which is a little ways down the road from where I grew up, uh, I am having more of that influence and uh, having some more of those conversations. But so far, it's been a good thing to be a topic in those conversations rather than, you know, small town gossip. <laughs> yeah, not so bad, not so bad at all. Um, we, we've got a few minutes left today. The I am approach, we remember saying we're always doing the best we can, influenced by four domains, your home domain, the social domain, the biological domain of your brain and body, and the IC domain, how I see myself, how I think other people see me. We've actually been speaking a lot about all of these domains. The idea that depending on the community you're in, when somebody presents an idea and another person goes, eh, or that's incredible, that will have an effect on your biological domain through the IC domain. This person sees me as amazing, which just makes you feel different. Because those four domains interconnect, a small change can have a big effect. You don't need to change everything. Small change can have a big effect. So Blake, I'm curious, what small change can you recommend to our listeners, given what you're talking about with Howdy Curiosity? Yeah, so the small change that comes to mind for me is one that I actually implemented, uh, I guess, around the time the pandemic started. Um, and it may sound a little bit contradictory on the surface for someone who's launching uh, an online platform this fall, but... For me, the small change that I think has had the most significant impact on me is putting my phone on do not disturb mode 30 minutes to an hour before getting in bed and then using that time where I would be sitting and scrolling to either do a little more journaling about you know, what went well in the day, what stressed me during the day, or to just stretch and you know, give my body some much needed movement. I spend so much time here in this office in a desk chair that I bought secondhand after a hospital closed down that, you know, my hips, my spine, they need that little bit of stretch. But it's been such a, a small change and such a small ritual in my nightly routine, but it has helped me detach from the, the stress and the noise of social media and sleep better and be a little bit more limber, which is always fantastic. Hmm. Mark, I see you nodding your head. Have you ever been able to do that? Yeah, of course. Yeah? 
Yeah. So mor- morning ritual is very similar for me. It's it's yeah. very important that, you know, I've got my my book of the Stoics and I read my my passage every day and I try to stretch, hydrate and and not look at the phone right away. And once I was able to get oh man it's it's a game changer and it is a small change Blake I'm I'm with you a thousand I might add the 30 minutes before bed now and that's why I think I was probably you know um unconsciously nodding I'm like I'm doing it I'm doing it I'm doing it he's got me I'm in I'm in yeah yeah Tom do you ever do that and you just like shut off social media and then the the phone and everything and oh sure I don't have any rituals or habits about it but Sometimes I'll notice that I haven't been on Facebook or Twitter for days at a time. And I'm like, ah, I can live without it. (laughs) Mm. For sure. Great. Well, that's a great small change. The other thing about the I am, second truth is because everybody's interested in what you think or feel about them, which affects their biological domain. Because you know it feels different if you feel respected or disrespected. And you're part of someone's home and social domain. This means you control no one you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Blake Reichenbach, what kind of influence do you want to be? I want to be the kind of influence that motivates folks to be curious about the things that bring them joy. You know, I've often described myself as more of a listener than a talker. And so, you know, regardless of how things go with howdy curiosity, uh, I want to be influencing people by being that person where if you come to me and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this, where I'm not going to say, okay, I'm going to say, ooh, okay, tell me more. Yeah. You know, what is it about that that excites you? You know, why is it that you're thinking about doing it that way? Give me, give me more of this. You know, let me uh, build up that motivation. That would be great. We can do that for each other all the time. Blake, thanks so much. Everything you're doing. Folks, we will see you next week. Tom, Mark, we're back. Until next week. See you next week.